Okay, guys, if you have a copy of his word, I invite you to open up to Romans 9. This morning we're going to be looking at sovereignty and foreordination. Just as you're, you're finding your, your place in your Bible with Romans 9, just to understand sovereignty and foreordination. Whenever we, we think of these words, sometimes as, as Christians, they seem to be a hard terms to understand. And before we really get into Romans 9 this morning, I think we have to understand to say that God did not ordain. That word ordain simply means command. If he did not ordain or commanded, what has come to pass is to say that, that it was outside of the sovereignty of God. So we come to understand the sovereignty of God, we have to understand the implications of making God sovereign. To make God sovereign means that every single thing that has happened, every single thing that will happen, is all within his control and all within his ordination, his commanded will. In other words, he has, he has said that this is going to happen. So everything that happens is within God's sovereignty. And ultimately, if we understand that, then saying that sovereignty is the ultimate source of power and authority over everything that exists, and to say that God is not sovereign is to say that God is not God. And the, this is really an undistinctive. When we understand sovereignty and ordination, we understand that it is not a distinction between the Catholic or the Muslim. Both believe God to be sovereign. But it's not a distinctive between the Arminianist or the Calvinist. It is a simple distinction between the theist, those who believe in God, and the atheist, those who do not believe in God. To separate sovereignty, to separate ordination, to separate the fact that that we are predestined before the foundation of the world for adoption through Christ Jesus, to understand that everything that has happened in the past and everything that has happened today in the midst of the Manchester bombing, in the midst of the troubles in Northern Ireland, in the midst of Genghis Khan running rampage throughout Mongolia, has all been part of God's ordained sovereign will, his ordained sovereign plan. And to think that we are somehow outside of the sovereignty of God will ultimately mean that we are God. If we have ordination and we have sovereignty, we understand that the only way that God can make his promises come to fruition, the only way that he can make his covenants everlasting is to understand that every single thing down to the smallest creature, down to the smallest atom, down to whatever point you want to get to, every single thing that happens, happens within the ordained sovereign decree of the Lord. And that's hopefully what we were going to unpack this morning. But the problem that we have with that, especially even as Christians, is we sometimes want to shelter that side of God, particularly away from the unbeliever, particularly away from those who are new in their faith. Because immediately someone will pose the question, well, how can God, if he is a true, loving, just, holy, righteous God, ordain for someone to be raped, ordain for somebody to have to go through the hurt and the pain and the depths of misunderstanding that people are going through just in Manchester with that terrorism attack. How, does, how can you say that somebody whose husband or wife has just died of cancer? How can we say this and hold fast to what is truly biblical attributes of God when whenever we have to ask these questions? And also people will say immediately, well where is free will? Where is the sinfulness of man? 
And we understand that if we're going to truly look at God's sovereignty, God's ordination, we have to start with God's will. And we have that, I'll put up the screen so you can track with me best, is that it starts with God's will of decree. We have to separate the will of God into two categories. The will of decree, as I've put up there, says that he will, that the will by which God brings to pass whatsoever he decrees, this is hidden to us until it happens, this is God's eternal foreordained plan, purpose which will not change and cannot be thwarted. For example, we are powerless to stop God's decreed will for the sun to rise tomorrow. There is things that are ordained in God's decreed will that we are powerless to stop. We cannot move the placement of a star in the sky. There are certain things that will happen that we cannot change. That's God's decree will or will of decree. The next one we understand then in the next slide, guys, yep, is the will of command. Now, this is where we come into play. The will of command is God's revealed law or commandments, which we have the power through sin to break, but not the right to break by our free will. Yet, God allows this to perfectly accomplish his ordained plan and purposes, working all things for good. The word there is allows. For example, the Bible clearly says, thou shalt not murder. But yet we, in our own free will, we, in our own sinfulness, can break that command. We should not break that command. We don't have the right to break that command. But yet we can break that command. So we understand that further in the next slide as we go on. Um, it's, we see this in Ephesians 1-5 through 5, where he says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, let's break down these two terms of will. Commanded will and the other being his decreed will. So how does the will of decree and the will of command work when it comes to our adoption through Christ Jesus? We understand that we first of all see his will of decree, as I have up on the next slide, whenever it says his will is both God's will of decree in that ordained that Jesus be betrayed, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, pierced, killed and forsaken. That's what God ordained. That's what we see right throughout scriptures. That's what we see prophesied right throughout scriptures. That his son, Jesus Christ, God himself, veiled in flesh, would be betrayed, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, pierced, killed and forsaken. That is why we have salvation today. Praise God for his foreordained sovereign will. Yet, in the midst of that, we also see his commanded will whenever we see in scriptures that God says, Thou shalt not betray. We see that in Proverbs 19.5, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. We see that we're not to beat, Mark 12.31, Matthew 5.38-40. We are not to mock or ridicule, Job 11.3, Matthew 5.11-12, Proverbs 17, Ephesians 4.29. Pierce or kill, Exodus 20.13. Uh, Leviticus 24.17 and Luke 6.31. Here we have the perfect example of God's decreed will and God's commanded will. You shall not kill, you shall not betray, you shall not pierce, you shall not do these things. Yet, he ordained those very things to come to pass. We see it further whenever we see in Scripture in Acts 2.23, when it says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. 
Everything to do with Christ's death was planned and ordained by God. We also see in Romans 8, 28, when it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. I personally like the footnote on it whenever it says, other scriptures say, other manuscripts say that God works all things together for good, for God works in all things for good. What does all that mean then, as this is the introduction before we get to Romans 9, of how we can better understand the sovereignty and the ordination of God? We understand that if we took rape, for example, that someone goes today with a thought in his mind to rape an individual. God stands there and goes, I command you not to do that. It is against my will. You should not do that. It is wrong. It is sinful. And I will punish you for it. He then does not listen. He goes on and he commits the act. Even in the midst of the act, God stands there completely condemning it. Saying it should not be taking place. It should not happen. It breaks his heart. It breaks his commanded will. You are not to do this very thing. Stop it. Yet, allowing it to take place. Yet, allowing it to take place so that it perfectly comes together in his foreordained will of decree and plan for redemption throughout humanity. So God can justly condemn the rapist, yet justly allow it to happen in the bringing together of it for his own good. And this is how God works. If we had time today, we'll briefly look at it. We could go to scripture and look at Joseph. Perfect example. Joseph, who was sold by his brothers because of jealousy, because of bitterness, because his father loved him more seemingly than the others, because maybe he pranced about in his coat of many colors, saying, look at my lovely coat. And the demonic got on top of them, and they took him, and they sold him into slavery. God is there in the midst of that, saying, it is wrong. You should not be doing this. Do not do that to Joseph. He is your brother. Yet, Joseph was sold into slavery. Then we look at, at that moment, how you would feel if you were Joseph's father. You've just lost a son. There's pain. There's hurt. There's misunderstanding. How could this possibly be God's will? How could it possibly be God's will for my son to be killed as his brothers took back his coat of many colors dipped in the blood of an animal? How could we go to him and say, but your son died according to the will and the purpose of God, who is sovereign and who has ordained everything that is to take place? Because in the midst of a misunderstanding of sovereignty, in the midst of a misunderstanding of the ordination of God, we push God out of the very situation that we need God to be in. If you are somebody who's gone through the pain and the loss of losing someone who's close to you, then you understand this better than maybe anybody. In the midst of that pain, in the midst of that misunderstanding, in the midst of wanting to know why it was your father, mother, brother, sister, daughter, son, uncle, aunt, grandparent, whatever it is. Why me? Why am I going through this? How can God be in this? 
And society wants to push God out of that because they don't want God to be in the midst of that very situation that we as Christians have to have a God who is completely sovereign to say that I have nothing else that I can possibly do apart from fall and lean into the strength of that God is sovereignly in control of the very situation that I find myself in. That he's working this for his purposes and his good and ultimately my good. I can't understand it right now. I still feel the way I feel. But I'm going to lean into the fact that my God, that nothing gets past him. This was not a surprise. This was not a shock. This was all part of his sovereign elected will. Even in the midst of the person that may have murdered somebody close to you. In the midst of their sin that he commanded them not to do it. But still allowed it to happen for his glory. And for his ultimate purpose. And how could we say that to Jacob at the time? Because it was true. Because going right back to Abraham. Whenever God said to Abraham. Your offspring shall be sojourners in a land that is not their own for 400 years. He was putting in place the very thing that he had ordained then. Do we think it was coincidence Right at the point whenever the brothers decided in the midst of their evil hearts, in the midst of listening to the devil and not the Holy Spirit, to sell Joseph into slavery, that there just so happened to be a caravan of people who wanted to buy him and put him into slavery. And it just so happened, not out of God's sovereignty or God's ordained will, that he would be bought by Potiphar. And it just so happened that Potiphar's wife would come on to Joseph. And it just so happened that Joseph would say no. And just so happened that she would lie. And just so happened that he'd be put into prison with the candlestick maker and the baker and everybody else. And just so happened that he would decipher a dream. And just so happened that that person would go before Pharaoh. And just so happened that he would tell Pharaoh. And just so happened that then Joseph would then become part of Pharaoh's court. Just so happened then that a famine would come on the land. And just so happened and just so happened and just so happened until his father came and saw his son standing as head of Pharaoh's court giving his family who would have died had not Joseph deciphered the dream as well as many others and yet his brothers and all are forgiven by Joseph and Joseph says to his brothers what you meant for evil God used for good that's how we understand God's sovereign ordained plan then we go further just so happened that then his brothers and his family stayed in Egypt. And just so happened that they then grew the 12 tribes of Judah into a massive multitude of people. And just so happened that a pharaoh came along then that forgot everything that Joseph had did and said, I have a good idea, let's enslave them. Just so happened that they were enslaved. Just so happened then that Moses got put into a basket. Just so happened that he went down the Nile and nicely got found by Pharaoh's daughter. And just so happened that she said, oh, I would love a son. I'll take him for my own. And just so happened that he was raised up with all the kingly ship of Moses and everything that he had. And just so happened one day he was out for a walk and saw by random a person being afflicted. And just so happened said, oh, I'm going to step in, lose all my kingship, kill this person accidentally. And yet my medallion, my amulet will be in his hand. I'll be found out. And so on and so on. And just so happened that he then was said a bush that went on fire and God spoke to him and just so happened that he sent him back and just so happened that the people left Egypt, went through the sea got the ten commandments, got the people of Israel, all of God's commandments came to pass, all because it fell on one brother who decided to go I know, let's sell it in slavery if we believe that what do we believe? God is sovereignly in control of all things and immediately you're going to say to me what about free will, we're going to get to that next week But today, let us come to understanding to place God outside of every single thing 
whether it be mechanical, creaturely, or nature. To place God outside of the hurricane, the tsunami. To place God out of the brakes filling on a 40-wheeler that slams into your beloved's car and kills them. It's all part of God's ordained, sovereign will. That's what we cling to when we come to understanding of who God is. Anything outside of that is to say that we are God. It is my decisions that shape everything. It is not your decisions. You're in, you are impotent to be able to make a decision upon yourself that is outside of the will and the decree of God. You understand that? Amen? Is that not the God we want to understand? We cannot see how he's using all these things to pass. We cannot see how he is bringing to the fore the antichrist of this world, the tribulation of this world, and the persecution of the Christians that we read about in Revelation, but we understand that he is sovereign in control of it all. Nothing gets past him. Not one iota. Nothing. Amen? Let's get into it then. We'll ask the introduction. Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 6. It says in Romans 9, verse 6, But is it not, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise, counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, that this time next year I will return, and Sarah will have a son. People even in this day struggled with the sovereignty of God. People in this day struggled with the ordination of God. And what he says there is, in, he's talking about the fact that it's not as if God's word has failed. Whenever he said to Abraham, I will make your offspring a great nation. I will bring bring light to the nations through your offspring. And Paul here before this was asking himself, saying, I wish I could be cut off for the sake of my brethren who do not believe in Jesus Christ. But yet, shall we say that the word of God has failed? And he says, no. Why? Because the true offspring of Abraham are not those of flesh, but of the spirit. It's in Galatians 3. Take a quick write in your Bible. Galatians 3 verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. It is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And he goes on to build on this. Because he knows that the reader is going to be thinking a demonic thought in their, ha- in their mind. Demonic questioning in their mind. If God is truly sovereign, how come all these Jews are being left out? Surely God's word has to come to pass. And he goes on to answer it by showing us election through the sovereignty of God. Showing us election. The reason why if you are a born again believer this morning was through the sovereign mercy and the sovereign grace of God. And he says... Um, in verse 9, for this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man. Why does he cite that? Why is he citing that Isaac's wife had one man? 
Because he knew that the Jewish people would say, yes, yes, yes. But God chose Isaac because of his genealogy. John chose Isaac because, or sorry, God chose Isaac because of his heritage. Because the son to Ishmael, or sorry, Ishmael was not a true descendant. Because Sarah was the Jew. Therefore, God chose Isaac because Sarah was a Jew and his father was a Jew. And that's why he chose him. Paul says, no, it's not. Because just as Rebecca had conceived a child by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. It's massive. God does not choose or select because of what you were going to do. God does not choose or select you because of the fact that you were even going to choose him have given the chance. He cites here Rebecca and says, Rebecca had two sons, both the same genealogy, both the same heritage, both the same parents, both the same womb. Both had done neither good nor bad. Both had yet not been born. And what does he say? In order that God's purpose of election might continue, why? Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Not because of your heritage. Not because, it doesn't say here he, he was going to choose uh, Jacob over Esau because Jacob was going to be a mightier man. It doesn't give a reason for it here. He simply says to continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older shall serve the younger. As is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. How can that be just? How can it be just for God to choose Jacob over Esau. When neither neither of them had done anything wrong. Neither of them had done anything right. Neither of them were going to do anything. It is simply because of his elected sovereign choice. He then goes on not to cite the reasons for this. Because he knows that immediately the people have to come to the terms as we do today. That grace and mercy is an unmerited gift. God saved you through the grace of him choosing you. What did you do to deserve it? Nothing. Not one thing, at least you could boast. It is his sovereign mercy and sovereign grace in which he chooses you. And as much as we will struggle with that today, in the frailty of our human comprehension, in the frailty of a better understanding of his word, we have to come to the understanding here that Paul comes to when he says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. In verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? He knew what they would say. He knew that they would say this has to be unjust. This cannot be right. That God would hate Esau. For what? Nothing. No reason. Same mother, same womb, same father, same heritage, same genealogy. Everything was the same. Yet God chose, not because of works, but because of him who calls. What should we say then? Is there injustice? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. Why are you saved in this room today? The answer. God's sovereign grace and mercy. 
You've done nothing to deserve it. He did not foreknow what you were going to do. He predestined your adoption. He foreordained your adoption. He selected you over others by no other means apart from his grace. And immediately here, the readers of this text and the people that hear this today come to a massive problem is that we think in the demonic. We think in the atheistic. We might not think that we are, but we do. We think that there is somebody right now in the world who's crying out to the Lord saying, I want to be saved, 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 and God goes, no. Or that there's somebody who does not want to be saved. And God says, no, no, you have to be saved. We understand that every single person who is saved is saved because of God. The only reason that they even desire to be saved because God was merciful and graceful enough to awaken them to the fact that they were dead to their depravity, awaken themselves to the fact that they were lost and that they needed an atonement for their sins all through Him. That's why it is the Word of God that saves and not cleverly devised schemes by man. We might not like that, but let us understand who God is. We are given the reason here. He cites simply what God says. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy because not one person deserves to be saved. It is my mercy that saves. Every man and every woman deserves rightfully and justly to go to hell because of the sin that is in them through Adam and Eve's Uh, fallenness in the garden no one deserves to be saved not one it is my mercy it is my grace it is an unmerited free gift that comes from me that I draw people to myself that is why Paul simply says this is unjust by no means he cites in Exodus what he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy now of compassion on whom I have compassion so then it depends not on human will or exhortation but on God who has mercy for the scriptures say to Pharaoh for this very purpose I have raised you up the only reason Egypt became what Egypt became in history was for one purpose God ordained it to come to pass so that he could what he says to show his wrath and make known his power The only reason that even Pharaoh existed, why Egypt existed, so that God could simply show his power. That's what he says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Yet, he will say no, because I will harden his heart. Because I am using him as a vessel of destruction, so that I may be brought glory and honor and praise through the redemption of my people. I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. This is how God works. This is the sovereignty of God in action. Not one thing that happens, not one thing that comes to pass is outside of his decreed, ordained, foreknown, foreknowledged movement of his hand. But then we get to a major problem. It's already five past. I'm not going to be able to answer it today. The major problem is, how does my free will work into that? How is it possible that that can be true whenever I can choose to do whatever it is that I want to do? And that's what Paul goes on to do in verse 19. He says, For for you will say then, 
Why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, a man, to answer back to God with what is mold, well, what is molded said to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for armor use and one vessel for disarmor use? You will say then, why does he still find fault? And that comes down to our free will in action. And we're going to look at that next week. And ultimately, what we're going to really delve into next week, do you have free will? You have the choice. You chose to sit in the seat you're sitting in this morning. You chose to have tea or you chose to have coffee. But where does your choice come from? It comes from the desire of your heart. Every decision you make comes from the desire placed upon you in your heart. That's why his word says, I will give you the desires of your heart for those who love me according to my purpose and my will. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to delve in deeper to this. We don't have time this morning. If you understand sovereignty in this light, if you understand that your election and your calling and the fact that you are born again has no other means apart from grace and mercy from God, you did nothing to merit it, how then does free will choice come into it? How then does God work all this whenever we all have freedom of choice? And next week, we're going to answer that by turning to Scripture as the point of this sola scripture and looking at the attributes of God and how God affects free will. Because believe it or not, you're asking him to. Father God, I pray that you save that person. How is he going to save that person unless he affects their free will? How did you come to the knowledge that you need Christ? Why are you in church today and not in the cinema? Why are you in church today and not in a bar? Why are you in church today and not in your bed? Because your will has been changed by the Holy Spirit. And every choice that we make as Christians depends not even upon ourselves, but it depends upon your heart and your mind from which God derives his will, his purpose, and his decrees. And every single thing that every single person is doing can be held accountable for what you've chosen to do, and yet we will see how God affects what choice you have made. Amen? Amen. It's exciting stuff. We don't have time. It's ten past. But come back next week. Look at this yourselves, and I want to come back next week and understand how is free will seen throughout the sovereignty and the ordination of everything that has come to pass. But before you leave today, remember one thing. If we accept this as being truly biblical and truly the doctrine, the Christology of who God is, then it leaves us in a very firm place upon a rock that says that no one can do any single thing to you, that nothing that you're going through right now in your life, that there is nothing that you need to worry about, nothing that you need to uh, get anxious about, because every single thing down to where the leaf falls in the grass of the mile today is all part of God's ordained sovereign will. And that anything that has happened to you is escapable outside of God's will. Nothing can happen to you. If you drive home today and you have a head-on collision in a car, it is part of God's sovereign will. And in the midst of the depravity that you maybe once indulged in, in the midst of everything that you ever did before a holy God, are you accountable? Absolutely. We're going to look at it next week. You are completely accountable for every action that you've done. But also that every action that has happened and that you regret, and that you wish that you could cling back and claw back from ever having taken place in your life, you can understand, I will still praise you God, because that very thing has led me to where I am today, and that very thing has been part of your plans and your purposes for all eternity, and will echo continually for the people that sold their brother into slavery, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their regret before a holy God, in the midst of their repentance, can cling to one thing, 
Father God, I meant it for evil. But praise you, Lord. You had ordained it to happen for good. And that's what we cling to. And that's the rock that we stand on in the midst of hurt, pain, loss, disease, cancer, whatever it is that happens. We hold fast that God is sovereign. He is working it all for his good. And that everything that is happening, we are in the palm of his hand. And no man can pluck me from it. Not even the devil himself can afford it. Amen. That's the God we believe in. Let's stand together. We'll, we'll close in prayer and we'll worship our Lord. Father God, we come to you this morning. We ask you, Lord, to, to help us in the frailty, Father, of our minds to comprehend who you are. Father, I pray, Lord, that we can come to an understanding, Father, of what it means to believe in a sovereign, holy, just God. That nothing, Father God, comes to pass. Not one thing. Not even the blowing of the grass, Father God. Not even the falling of a leaf to the ground, Father God. Not one thing, Lord, is outside of your ordained decree and command, Father. Even in the midst of pain. Even in the midst of natural disasters. We cling to one truth. You are sovereign. And you, God, are working it for your ultimate good. Father, I pray that we can come to an understanding, that we can start to have peace, Lord, in our minds when the devil comes to life. We can have peace in our minds, Father God, to know that truth. And Father God, we can have peace from the guilt that haunts us, Lord, of our past offences against you, our holy God, to know, Lord, yes, we, Father God, repent. Yes, Lord, we wish, Father God, we could take them away. But Father God, praise you that you use them for your ultimate purpose and glory. And you used it to change us, Father. God, we thank you this morning. We praise you as we come to close in worship that we get to sing to you this morning freely of our own will, Father, because you have given us the purpose and given us the desire to worship you, Lord. We pray this in Christ Jesus' mighty name. Amen.